Hi everyone, welcome to episode 26 of an Inside View podcast with On The Ball Team Building. If this is your first time listening to us, we'd really appreciate it if you go back to episode 1 and have a listen. Please do tell your friends, family, whoever may know about the podcast. It means a huge amount to us. If you or anyone you may know might have any interaction um, about the podcast, please do tag us on the ball team building and tag the guest too on social media. Big shout out to our sponsors up there in Mayo, GRG Sports. Thanks very much guys for the support over the last couple of weeks also. A number of weeks ago we met up with an Irish guy who is doing remarkable work over in the States, uh, James Collins. He's the head of sports science with MLS side New England Revolution. A former graduate of IT Tala, James left the shores of Ireland in 2014 to pursue a master's in strength and conditioning and has had a remarkable journey so far. He spent time interning at Boston University and Northeastern University during his master's. After that, he went on to work with a number of MLS sites, Sport Kansas, Minnesota United FC, and is now with Massachusetts-based franchise New England Revolution who are actually owned by the same owners of the famous New England Patriots. Hi, James. Welcome to an interview podcast. How are you keeping? I'm doing well, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Good, good. And uh, you're based over in the States. Um, what's it like over in over around Boston at the moment? Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's grand. I mean, Boston and Massachusetts have done a better job than most places in the U.S. for managing managing COVID and so uh yeah it's all right obviously it's it's unforeseen sort of times but yeah it's it's grand very good very good and has it affected we say the the soccer season over there yeah um at first we we actually played our first two games and then the season got cut or not cut but it, it got put on hold um and then we were pretty much uh, our facility was shut down so we were off limits for got quite a while, probably from, what was it, early March all the way till probably May, I think mid-May maybe. Um, and then we had individual training for a while, then we, for about a week and a half, then we did group training and then we were finally able to get back to full training. And then we had about five weeks of full training and then they actually brought everyone in the league to, to Disney in Florida for kind of like a similar style tournament that the NBA are doing. So we were in a bubble. Like a, it was like a, a World Cup style tournament, so um, we played that, and then when we got back. Then now there, we are continuing to play the season, but it's a little different. We're kind of just playing teams within our region. So us being in, in New England or Massachusetts, we we're playing, you know, the likes of the, the New York teams and Philadelphia and Montreal. So uh, we're going about the season as we are as, as best we can now. So um, and then we we play off starting. Hopefully we'll we'll get there, and I'll be starting. November, I think. So it's it's a bit of a different season, but sure, you kind of have to roll with it. And is is there? Um, there's no fans at games, obviously over there. Is there? Is there? A kind of are they try? Are they trialing some fans to come back into the stadium? Uh, currently, we're not allowed to have fans. Uh, we might be in the uh, next month, but we're not 100 percent sure yet. But some some teams do. Uh, I think Kansas City have fans. The Texas teams have fans. Uh, some do, but yeah, we we, we don't currently, but. Uh, they're they're all at kind of limited capacity as well. Perfect, and we'll we'll bring it back to the start. So you are you're a Dublin man. How do you find yourself over in the states? Um, I suppose first of all, you might give us a, a brief overview of of your background in Dublin, and then what made you make the leap over to Boston? 
yeah um i yeah i, I did my undergrad in in uh the institute of technology in tala which is uh, dublin technological university and did that in sports science and i actually originally wanted to do physiotherapy and realized when i was in fifth and sixth year that i had no chance of getting 500 points so i yeah i went down the sports science route to try and get to physiotherapy and then didn't even realize strength and conditioning sports science was a thing and and or was a actual profession and then after having a, a class or two i realized this is actually the way i want to go about it and it's the, it's the road i want to go down and kind of fell in love with it and um then from there you know i tried to i interned did some internships uh interned with uh a fellow called barry solon who's with arsenal at the moment and worked with him with Ackland Tariff rugby club and also worked at belvedere college where i went to where I went to secondary school and, and then did some stuff at Trinity all, all while I was doing my undergrad. And, uh, I don't know. I just, I was, I wanted to do a master's and I was kind of looking around and I just saw Springfield college, which, which kept, came, which just kept coming up. Uh, they've got a lot of high profile alumni who, who are working in the NFL and um, yeah, all over college, the college football and NBA. And I don't know. Yeah. I just, I just saw that and that, 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 that kind of took my interest and, I, honestly, it was a complete stab in the dark of just applying. I just kind of out of the blue just applied, and I kept call. I would call them every other day to see what's going on and to get more information and get, just get myself in front of them. And uh, originally, I, I was actually on the wait list. I got put on the wait list, which I actually was a surprise to me at first. I, I didn't think I was gonna even have a chance. And uh, yeah, so I was on the wait list. And then uh, Barry Barry Solon and another fellow, Robbie Burke, is a strength conditioning coach based in Dublin as well they brought uh, Mike Boyle over to to, our, to Dublin for uh, a seminar Mike Boyle for anyone who doesn't know is, he's probably like the, the godfather of, of strength conditioning so they, they brought him over Mike Boyle is an alumni of Springfield so I ended up saying to Barry and to Robbie I'm like listen you have to give me an intro here to you know he, he might be my ticket in into Springfield and lo and behold in, in the seminar there was an intermission and Barry and Robbie were chatting to him and they called me over and I got chatting with Mike Boyle and one of them said, oh, James is actually on the wait list for the program in, in Springfield. And I was chatting away with him and then he said to me, he's like, here, here's my, here's my personal email. Shoot me an email on Monday when I get back to the States and I can give uh, Dr. Thompson, who's the program coordinator, I'll, I'll give him a call for you. So I say, yeah, Monday morning, I, I you know, sent, had prepared the email all, all over the weekend and sent it out on the Monday and, um, you know, he got back to me like 20 minutes later saying, hey, I just, just got off the phone and best of luck. So I'm thinking, Jesus, I might actually have a chance here. And then a week later, I get an email from the International Centre saying I got in. Uh, so then, yeah, it was, I mean, it was a bit of a shock. It, it kind of happened, happened all very, very fast. I was very lucky that, you know, Mike Boyle was willing to go out on a limb for me, which, you know, you know. So anyway, yeah, so that, that's kind of how it happened. That's how I ended up, ended up moving over. And, and yeah, I guess it just kind of went from there. So. Brilliant. And what, um, like, is there a benefit of, like, is there a difference between what is offered in Springfield as opposed to what's offered in other universities in, in Europe? Uh, I'd, well, I don't, I don't know what those other universities offer. I think, it's, I think the one thing that stuck out to me with Springfield was that it was very applied. I mean, you could sit in a classroom all you want and learn about, you know, the science and whatnot, but if you're not out there actually doing it, then it's, I think that your growth is, is limited a little bit. So the one thing that Springfield was able to offer was, it, you know, they force you to do three internships while you're there. One is on campus with the graduate assistants. Um, and then you have two off, off, off-site, camp, uh, off-site internships. And 
they also have a huge network as well. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of strength conditioning coaches have gone through there and who are in some big big jobs. So um, having that network available to you, I think, is something that was really that kind of stuck out to me. Um, so I, I'd say on, on that sense, it might be different. Yeah, that it's just it's just far more applied. And I think you know, if you want to get a job, it's it, it's kind of how how well your net how big your network is 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 a big big part of getting yourself interviews and getting yourself jobs. And even when I left, like, you know, I got interviews that I had no right getting solely just because I was, I went to Springfield. So, um, yeah, I guess that, that was the big thing. It was just, it was just so applied. You're, you're, you're coaching constantly, which was what I was going for. And what age were you when you went over to the States? Um, God, what age was I? So 20, 22, maybe? So 22? I think, oh yeah, I think it was, I think it was 22, 23 when I moved over first. And just, I suppose, uh... For those that are in the you know strength and conditioning um, and sports science field, they obviously know the difference. But to put it in layman's terms, you know what's the difference between strength and conditioning and sports science? Are they both connected? Uh, they are both connected. I I would think. Um, I think if you're taking a face value from just the 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 names of of the the titles or whatever, like strength and conditioning would be a strand of sports science. It, it's not really seen that way. Like I think strength conditioning is seen as more you're in the gym, you know, doing lifts with teams and warm ups and those kind of things. And sports science is kind of seen as, you know, data, GPS, heart rates, that kind of thing. Um, but I think if you're looking strictly at like just at the names for their face value, you know, it's a science of sports, you know, so strength conditioning would probably go under that under that category. But so it's just all all semantics, you know. Perfect, perfect. And was that something you always kind of wanted to get into? Or you kind of mentioned that already is indirectly you ended up in sports science. You wanted to get into physiotherapy, was it? Yeah, uh, yeah, just from playing sports growing up, I, I tend to get tend to get injured a bit. So I tended to be in a physio, uh, with, with the physio a lot. And I was just getting interested in, in, uh, in I guess, training and, and, and trying to keep yourself, keep yourself on the, on the, on the pitch. And, then you know I probably wasn't the most skillful soccer player or rugby player or whatever. So I, I tried to pride myself on, on, on you know being the strongest, fastest, whatever. So I, I guess I just I took an interest in, in going to the gym and doing all those things, and that's kind of how it started. And then I thought it was all under the physiotherapy bracket until I went to Talat and I I realized it was its own separate thing. So. And you were saying you know when you went to Springfield, um, you did three internships. The first one, or one of them, was you were in the university, you know, with their department there. And the other two, didn't you? Yeah. Out, you went to Northeastern University, um, and then yeah, did you go to Boston University as well, or was that after yeah. you, you finished? That was be, uh, well, it was still a part of it though. Yeah, but it was it was still a part of the credits for it. But yeah, 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 BU and Northeastern. Yeah. And do you want to give us an overview of what you know? Um, what both of those internships were like, you know, it, it was pretty much a big deal to go to Northeastern University because that's, you know, that's a big enough um, university in, in the state, in Boston, Massachusetts. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, the Northeastern one, it was, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I was, I was, uh, in, I was inter- interviewing for a couple of different internships and, and they just stood out to me. I, I wasn't, they weren't initially high on my, high on my list originally. And then I spoke with the, uh, the director of strength conditioning and I was kind of like, wow, this is that their system was so different. You know, they were, they were one of the first people to, in the strength conditioning, the college strength conditioning world to get into PRI and, and 
they would use Omega Wave, and they were just different. It was just so different and out there that that's that's what kind of got my attention, and um, so that's that's why I went with them, and uh, it was great. I mean, it was it's it was difficult, you know. You're working, you know, twelve, thirteen hours, and just trying to soak up as much information as you can. But it was a great experience, and you know, um, I've got a good relationship with those guys, and I still try and keep in touch with their director of performance, and just kind of see what some what what the what what mad stuff they're they're coming up with. So. Uh, but no, it, both of them were, were great experiences. Um, and then with the, with BU, as mostly with the ice hockey team there. BU ice hockey is is kind of famous in in the US. So, um, but both both were were great experiences. And was um, there yeah. a difference? Um, do you know? I suppose it's good to get a bit of experience, you know, with different sports. But does every sport, you know, contain a different way how you how you approach it, or is there kind of a, a standard across? All sports. You were saying there about Omega Wave. Would you use that? That's the system, is it? Or yeah, we, 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 I don't currently use it now. Um, but um, I, I think going back to the the, the, the original question, uh, I'd say like a lot of the principles apply across each sport. I think some of the big things is looking at the different sporting cultures. You know what I mean? Like if you're working with, say, you know, rugby rugby players, have no problem being in the gym and you know lifting and whatnot where soccer players can it can be they can be a little afraid of it so you just have to work with different cultures and, and, and coaches and the cultures between you know of different sports um, but i think a lot of a lot of the same principles apply you know it's just that the kind of some of the minute stuff and the day-to-day kind of operations that can be a little different and what was the biggest change you say you know when you went over from the sport and culture in ireland you know you were with trinity and you were with clontar for a while so rugby and you're rowing and you you different other sports there. Um, what was the biggest change when you went over and you really immersed yourself in the American sporting scene? You know, was it the? Yeah, I think I think one of the biggest things for me well, it was more like looking at the coaches, like the strength conditioning, the difference in the strength conditioning coaches and how they, I don't want to say perceived the role, but the, how they carried themselves. Like when I first got over and like I found that there was a lot of some of the US strength conditioning coaches are a lot of a lot of screaming, a lot of shouting, a lot of I don't know, like you, you see some of the stuff on the sideline in college football, like some of that sort of antics. And for me, I, I had no time for it. I, I just think that's stupid. I think that damages our field a little bit. So I, I that really pissed me off when I was there originally and it was I was maybe being a bit stubborn that I was not gonna not gonna get involved in that sort of thing and just to, to carry about it my own way. And uh, but in terms of athletes like uh, I didn't think there was that much of a difference, to be honest with you. Like, I, you know, the Americans are very positive. You know, they've got a, that, like, you know, the American can-do kind of attitude. So, I, I had no issues work like changing, like working with you know American athletes opposed to Irish. It was kind of the same. They're about, you know, I didn't really see much of a difference. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it was it was kind of the same. You know, perfect. And um, I suppose you know you've been over there now for for six years, and you've you know you've immerse yourself very much into the sporting life over there. What do you think could be taken from, say, the American way that can be applied to, you know, to sports in Ireland? Albeit, I know you're talking geographics and you're talking, you know, the US is a continent and Ireland's only a country, but roughly, what what do you think we can learn? Um, I don't know. Uh, I haven't been, I haven't, I haven't been in Ireland for a while. I haven't lived in Ireland for six years, he said, so, I don't know where Ireland is on the on the spectrum. You know what I mean? I don't know. It's it's hard for it's hard in Ireland, you know, because 
there's so much money in sport in, in America, you know. I mean, you've got so many big professional professional leagues. You've got, you know, where in Ireland there's, you know, there's only really the rugby that's professional. You know, obviously the League of Ireland a little bit, but so I, I don't know. It's hard. I, I, I think you know, when I first moved to the States, I was a bit, I, I was a bit intimidated people in my class that were in internships in NFL and, and all that and then there's me it was with Clintarf and Belvedere and Trinity who no one knows or gave a shit about you know and I kind of realised as I got on there I was like well a lot of the coaches in Ireland are just as good if not better than the people here I think one of the great things about Ireland being a, maybe a smaller country is that we kind of look outward um, so we're willing to take information from different parts different parts of the world and different coaches and different cultures and whatnot. where America being so big, they kind of look in amongst themselves and in amongst their own sport. So I, I think one of, the, one of the biggest things for me was that I think there's a lot, the, quality, the standard of coaching in Ireland is very, very high. Um, com, you know, so, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's in terms of what we can learn from the US, is I don't know. It, it's, it's just so different because there's so much money in sport here where there's just not in Ireland, you know. So it's, it's difficult. And you did a bit of work in, um, I know I mentioned already Northeastern University and then you did Boston Boston University. Uh, you did a bit of work in Harvard as well, did you? Yeah, a small bit, yeah. yeah. It was just sort of a part-time thing. I I, uh, I was working with that rugby team, just helping them out with some of their strength conditioning stuff. Um, which, yeah, so it was more, honestly, it was more just, I, I needed money to pay rent. And that, that was, they were, they were the people as soon as I graduated that were willing to, Willing to willing to pay me, so uh, I just took it and just went with it. So uh, it was just it was a small sort of role. It was part time and and uh, um, you know just doing warm ups and and some some gym stuff and rehab stuff and um, but it's yeah <laughs> working at Harvard was a different world though. You know, like there was there was like there was a Kennedy on the team and there was a Nixon on the team and there was like the the grandson of the CEO of or founder of Samsung and all this mad stuff. Like it was crazy. Like it's different. <laughs> it's a different world completely like and you know naturally when you know when you were immersed in in Clontarf you know when you did a work in Clontarf and obviously Clontarf would be you know be very high standard in Ireland um rugby rugby wise I know rugby is only kind of on the up in the states um what was the big difference did you see between say rugby in Ireland and rugby in in uh, in the states overall, because I know you you worked with Harvard and you did a bit of work as well in Springfield College with the rugby team. Yeah, um, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess, I guess this is from me working a couple of years ago at, at Springfield and Harvard. I'd say, um, it's certainly growing at a fast pace here. I think it might be the fastest growing developing sport in the US. Um, I'd say f- physically the players are very much there. Like there were some lads that I trained at Springfield who, you know, and it'd be a low, low level standard who are just unbelievable athletes. Um, uh, but obviously they, they would lack on the technical, tactical side because they, you know, they tend to pick it up in college opposed to people in Ireland playing it from a young age, you know. So I'd say, yeah, I'd say on the physical standpoint, like they're very much there. Um, but technically, technically, tactically is where they kind of fall back on. Um, but, I, you know, it's, I know you've had a couple of lads who, who are playing over here professional so I'd say they'd have a they'd have probably a better idea than I would but 
yeah, it's it's definitely um, you know having spoken to them and or G, G, spoke to a uh, founder of an, a professional rugby team there as well recently, and it's definitely on the up. Um, but again, yeah. like that, you know, with rugby, you're competing with so many other sports over there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I suppose, look, your current role. Do you want to give us an overview of what your current role is and how you found yourself there? Um, when I say found yourself there, how how you got yourself there? You you yeah. Kansas City and Minnesota. Do you want to give us a, an overview of you know after college to where you are now? Sure. Yeah. Um, when I left, yeah, when I left Springfield originally, uh, I actually struggled quite a bit to to get a job just from between visas and and whatnot. And um, I was very you know I saw a job that went online with Kansas City and going back to how important your network is. The the director at the time um, was friends with. Barry Solon, who I worked with in Clontarf, and was also friends with another fella, Kerwin and Flat, who's the, the rugby strength coach who I know. Um, so you know they put a word in for me, and that got me in the that kind of got me the got me in the door and got me the job. So um, I was there working with their academy and then helping out with their their B team. So they had a similar structure. A lot of MLS teams have a structure like say Barcelona, where they've got Barcelona, Barcelona B, who play in like the lower league. So it's a similar kind of structure. So I was assisting with the B team then. And doing a little bit with the first team, and then the following year, then I was bumped up to uh, the head of the head of the B team. I kind of oversaw some of the some of the development stuff with the academy. Um, so I was there for two years, and, and then um, moved to Minnesota, the team in Minnesota, um, the MLS team in Minnesota. I was there for just a season, um, and my my wife is actually from from Boston, so the opportunity to potentially come back to come back to this part of the world was was kind of important, and, and plus the revolution. Had a lot of changes within the past year, and they brought in uh, kind of the, the Alex Ferguson of the MLS, who's uh, Bruce Arena, who's he's the most successful coach in the US, and um, so I, I wanted to, the opportunity to work with him, and, and there was a lot of positive changes happening in, in, at the Revolution, so uh, the opportunity arose, and I, I uh, yeah, I was fortunate enough to get to to, to get it, and um, and here I am now. So my my role, my title is head of sports science, and slightly misleading I, I i i do take care of a lot of the gps and the, the, the data side but i do a lot of the strength conditioning stuff so i'll have the have our players in the weight room and um do our, our pre-post stuff in the weight room and then uh um, I'll, I'll work with our, our medical team on our rehabs our end stage rehab or return to play so um that's that's the that's the current role right now and yeah so just trying to trying to get through uh this crazy covid covid season so yeah just uh... You know, as as your role, and even guys who are in or girls who are in similar roles, how important is data? You know, when you're assessing a player's progress, um, I know data probably tells a certain amount, but you probably have to factor in their own what's going on in the outside life as well. Do you? I think the the data should just guide your instincts, opposed to actually like making the full full decisions. You know, and I think the biggest thing for us is that the data gets used properly and, and that, you know, that we simplify it to the coaching, to the coaches that we can actually change, make some actual change and change, change the training outcome if, if it needs to be. Because uh, I think a lot of times that there's a lot of data given to coaches and too much maybe. And, um, you know, they're, they're, they're not, you know, they haven't studied, they haven't studied it. They don't, most of them don't really, they don't care, but, you know, they're not that, it's like human nature. If someone sees something they don't know, the instinct just are like, ah, oh, well, you know, affect this, you know. So we try and simplify it as best we can and, and pick and choose what we give them to try and actually make some, make some real change. Um, so I think that's, that's kind of important. But 
as I said, it's just it's a it's a good way to guide to guide your instincts, opposed to making clear cut decisions just based off data, you know. And obviously, look, you know, in in the states and predominantly actually even even more so in in um, Massachusetts, there's obviously a huge amount of sports there. Is there much cross between different franchises, you know, and different sports? Like, would you? Is there any cross communication between, you say, the New England Revolution and the Patriots and other sports in the in the city? Um, obviously, COVID has probably affected that a little bit. Um, so I, I would think if it wasn't for that, then yeah, there probably would be a little bit more. Because obviously, I, I've just been here this season. It's like in January, so things got things start kicking off in February, March. So um, I, I, I'm fortunate to I, when I was at interning at Northeastern, the director of performance at the time. There's a fellow called Art Horn, who's the director of sports med for the Celtics, the basketball team. So I know Art, and I've texted Art back and forth a few times. So um, I've got that connection with him. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I would think as soon as as soon as all this this is over, I, I would think yeah, there would be, be a lot more communication between between the two. Like I know when I was at Minnesota, there was a there was a good communication stream between uh, the Twins, who were the the baseball team, the Vikings, the the, the football team, and then the the Minnesota Wild, the hockey team. So there's a good communication stream between between us. But um, yeah, I, I would think I think when everything everything's over with with, uh, with COVID, I, I would think there there will be that that stream that communication stream set up. But it's it's uh, it's actually very good to hear that that it was you know it probably is like that as well in New England, but it was that in, in you know in other states because in Ireland. You know yourself that it's very much if you play GA, you don't communicate with the with soccer, <laughs> you don't communicate with the refuge. You know, it's yeah, yeah. very rigid in in Ireland. Um, I suppose they're pulling from a smaller pool of people as well. So that's uh, that's interesting yeah, to hear yeah. that. So I suppose just for the, those that might be too aware of the MLS, do you want to give us a brief overview of the makeup of it and um, what the you know where where you're based, where your stadium is based. Yeah, sure. Um, so the MLS was founded, I believe, and this is the this is the twenty fifth season of of the MLS. So it's it's growing, growing at a very fast fast rate every every single year. Like we added two two new teams this year. So the, because of the the size of the country, they they split they split into two kind of conferences. So there's the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference. And currently, there's fourteen teams in the East and twelve in the West. And there's I think there's two teams being added next next season, and then I think two more the following year. And they're just con- it's constantly growing. Um, so we're us being in New England and being in the northeast of the country, we're we're in Eastern Conference. So uh, usually you'll you'll play everybody in the Eastern Conference twice, and play everybody in the West once. And I think this season, because of the the growth in the league, I think it was uh, play everyone in the East twice, and then play everybody except one team. I think in the West once, um, and then they would have playoffs. Um, so usually it's top seven get into the top seven get into the playoffs and. Um, the top two teams get a buy into the second round of playoffs, and then there's the MLS Cup, which is usually the week before Thanksgiving, which is like second week of November or something. So, um, uh, the, the one of the biggest things with the MLS is the travel. You know, like we could, uh, it's travel and, and different climates. Like we could be, you know, playing in Montreal in in February, in you know March or April where it's snowing, and, and then we could be going playing and uh, going playing Salt Lake City or Denver, Colorado, in, in altitude, and then going down playing Texas in 100, 120 degree heat. So you've got all these different different factors and, and obviously flights, we uh, you know, you're you're on a two, three hour 
you know, even five-hour flight sometimes getting to games. So uh, we've got all these these crazy constraints that you know. So we've uh, it, it's kind of unique a unique league in that sense. Um, like I think our, our travel schedule is probably worse than any 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 other league probably in in soccer. So um, like I, when we were in Minnesota last year, we we kind of looked at it. I think the furthest you could have traveled last season in the Premier League was Newcastle to Bournemouth, and I think that was like. 200 miles and then at Minnesota our shortest travel was to Chicago and that was like 650 miles so uh the, the travel is the travel is just mental um so yeah that's that's kind of that's kind of it it's grown at a very fast pace and we we're currently we're owned by the same people who own the New England Patriots so we play in Gillette Stadium uh down in Foxborough Massachusetts which is about uh, about a half an hour south of Boston and um, so we we currently play there so um so yeah and uh, just uh, to give people an overview, um, those guys or girls that have been in, in Boston probably would be familiar with the, the makeup of the area. But it's pretty um, pretty amazing, the whole facility out there, um, the stadium, and it's like a mini city, isn't it, or a mini town? Yeah, yeah, a little bit, yeah. I mean, uh, certainly for the Pats, they, you know, they've packed, they've packed the house every time they, the Pats play, so they've, they've set up like a kind of like an outlet mall and, and there's bars and restaurants all around the all around the, the stadium as well so you can kind of make a day out of it if you're coming from the city so yeah no they, they've done a they've done a pretty great job with, with everything there so and would all the, the players um be located close you know in the one area or are they spread out through boston uh they'd be spread out usually you have the 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 lads with fam- who have families and stuff that they would probably be closer to foxborough um in kind of suburbs and then usually kind of the younger lads and would be would be in the city uh, in Boston. So it's 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 kind of mixed, yeah. So that that made it quite tricky when we were in quarantine. We had we had half the team up in Boston, half the team down south in Foxborough. So, but yeah, so he you got around, and I suppose the the joys of yeah, yeah. Zoom Zoom calls are yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> um, just I suppose to, just to give people an overview, especially with the strong you know Irish connection to New England, how have have you gotten on the last couple of years? Um, and it, like, are you competing or are you you know barely hanging on or is it rebuilding process? What's the the current standing point? Um, the past few years, the, the the Revolution have struggled a little bit, uh, but they've had a big a lot of a lot of changes recently. Um, as I said earlier, um, Bruce Arena has. He's one of the most well-known coaches that the U.S. has ever seen. Is now in charge here, so he's made a lot of changes. And last season, he came in mid-season, and I think they went on like a 15-game winning streak or something like that since he arrived. So they got to the playoffs last year, and, and uh, were unlucky to lose to the team in Atlanta um, in the playoffs. And, and this season, uh, we're doing all right. It's a weird kind of year, you know, with uh, with COVID and being in the bubble, and then the the kind of weird schedules we're on. Um, at the moment, but we're we're doing all right. We we're hopefully we'll make the playoffs and hopefully we can make a decent run. And um, yeah, I, I think I think the clubs have gone in the right direction. So hopefully we'll get some silverware at, at some point. Perfect. And just uh, you know, when you came over, you know, when you moved over to the states, what was the biggest stumbling block or blocks? Um, I suppose in in Boston, I suppose the Irish are well are well liked, but overall, what was the big? What are the biggest? You know blocks or barriers you faced over the last couple of years um i think when i moved over first it was just getting used to the culture like i think professionally it was professionally it was probably just getting your foot in the door and 
and visas and that kind of thing, which is always hard here. But yeah, once it, uh, once you, I suppose once the the foot is in the door, that's the that's the main thing, and you know your everything's kind of going the right direction. All um, I read somewhere there that you would like to at some stage down the line possibly get into professional or international rugby into that scene. Um, I suppose would the option always be there to get into the professional scene over in in the states, or do you ever see yourself returning to Ireland? Um, I yeah, I I, I know I said that a couple of years ago. I, I don't know if I would get into rugby. I don't know because I've just been working in soccer for the past well five five years or so, and I, I'm kind of enjoying it. So I I don't know if I if I go back to rugby. I, I'd love to go back to Ireland at some point, but I just don't know if it's I don't know if it's feasible to be honest with you. I mean. Hopefully the the League of Ireland grows and and gets the funding they deserve and things grow there and maybe you never know but yeah I, I'd always love to come back to come back home but I don't know I, I find it, it could be it could be tricky so I don't know fair enough fair enough and look um from all of us here on at, at on the ball team building um and from an inside view podcast I'd like to thank you for taking the time out um we, we'll wrap it up there. Because I know you have to run now. There's a game coming up soon. Um, yeah. I appreciate you taking the time out, James. And look, best luck going forward. Thanks very much. I appreciate it. I hope you all enjoyed that interview with James. Such an interesting uh, guy and uh, such a fascinating insight into his career as well so far to date. From the corridors of Belvedere College to the iconic Jet Stadium, it has been a quite remarkable journey to date. Um that is all from us on this week's podcast and please do get in contact with the show if you um if you want to contribute in any way possible please do tell your friends family or whoever may know about an inside view podcast um you can go over and follow us on social media uh, on instagram it's at on the ball team building over on facebook uh, we are you'll find us at on the ball team building over on twitter you'll find us at we are on the ball too. That is the digital. We're also on TikTok and we're on LinkedIn. If you search on LinkedIn on the ball team building, you'll find us. Be sure to follow uh, the group. Um, we we keep everyone up to date too. Um, on a weekly basis of what what's going on in the world of uh, on the ball team building and an interview podcast on all those platforms. Um, again, look a big thank you to James for coming on. Um, we really really appreciate it and best luck with everything going forward as well, James. Um. Have a lovely week and be sure to tune in again next week when we have a, another exciting guest. Till then, stay safe and remember, cred unit fin. Talk to you all soon and again, thank you all for listening. <laughs>